This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. I am Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show, and I am super proud today to introduce a new format. You know, we like a format a lot that allows us to tell a story that develops during the course of the year. And the name we have invented for this format is Breaking Chains. Even the title might evolve. We might find something uh, sort of uh, more uh, um, closer to the topic (laughs) that uh, this is going to be about. But for now, we stick with Breaking Chains. And I am today inaugurating this format with a very special guest, Stani Kulechov, who is not the first time uh, here with us in uh, in Breaking Banks. Stani is the founder and CEO of Ave. Stani, welcome back to uh, Breaking Banks. Thanks, Pato, for having me here again. It's it's definitely been uh, been quite a journey, and 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 there's some some time in between. So happy to be here again. And uh, of course, guys, I haven't uh, uh, I haven't uh, dive into the into the format yet. But uh, as you can uh, understand, is uh, three sixty degrees around uh, blockchain, uh, crypto, and DeFi. Certainly, three topics we cannot ignore. And uh, of course, uh, I am more an aficionado than a specialist. But the good news is that I don't need to be because Stani is. So, uh, Stani, you know, we assume that uh, in uh, nine months since your last appearances, you know, people might have, you know, forgot. So why why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, and Ave, like, uh, if you had to explain it uh, to a non-technical person to start with. Yeah, I can try to explain, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, pretty much what um, Aave does. Uh, so we, as an Aave team, we build a a protocol where where you can take uh, cryptographic uh, assets. They can be any kind of cryptographic assets um, that you can actually deposit into this uh, protocol and then earn uh, interest rates. So, so in essence, as a uh, as an end user, you will see the assets grow in in balance. Which means that um, over the time uh, you earn uh, for holding your cryptocurrencies or any kind of a digital asset that is that is uh, available uh, on Ethereum and is accepted by by the protocol, and um, we we basically how, how the system works is as as you deposit into the the, the protocol uh, that deposit becomes also your, your so-called collateral. And then you can borrow another assets out of the system, and this creates this interest rate market. And this all is built on on one of the uh, most popular uh, blockchains out there, uh, Ethereum. And Ethereum is is very robust on building this kind of uh, protocols because 
um, you can create complex systems uh, that actually are interoperable with other complex systems that has been built on the same uh, network. Uh, we launched the Aave protocol uh, itself last year, January, and currently the, the smart contracts itself, so, so smart contracts are pretty much like the, the, the basic code infrastructure that we, we, we have deployed uh, the protocol. Uh, we hold over 11 billion worth of uh, value in those smart contracts. And in total market size, it's 17 billion. That includes the, uh, the also the, the borrowing volume. So not just depositing, but borrowing. And, uh, and the, the volumes are growing quite substantial. This, this protocol is part of so-called uh, movement called decentralized finance, uh, where you interact with, with, with uh, blockchain-based uh, financial systems. And it's been growing quite substantially now over the past a uh, couple of years actually is uh, is super interesting that uh, uh, you know this overview uh, breaking banks uh, and and myself as well and as sort of uh, uh, has got the first uh, interaction with uh, defi a little bit you know over a year ago and uh, the 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 bull race that uh, uh, was with crypto sort of reflected, if not even in a in a higher fashion, into the volume. Uh, you know, I, I read a bit of the numbers, of course, because I had to kind of prepare myself uh, before getting into this uh, into this show. Uh, the market grew exponentially. And let me try also to tell you what my own experience is that might be closer to the vast majority of the people uh, that uh, are uh, uh, listening to the show. Uh, you know, of course, uh, the, the, you know, I open up an account in Coinbase, like you know, most people. I started with uh, you know, the classic Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin. Mainly not as a huge investor, but simply because it was curious to see how the market was floating. And because we are all in fintech, it's always good to sort of keep an eye on, you know, how these cryptos are, are going. And then all of a sudden, and that was like a pretty much uh, like a, a bet 360 sort of, you know, according to when you got or, you know, how smart you were in understanding that uh, if you just leave it there and forget the money, it will eventually grow. Then all of a sudden, someone uh, introduced. I think it was Ajit, uh, you know, one of the other hosts, and you know, full disclosure, actually working with Ave uh, as well uh, currently. Uh, I started uh, figuring out that uh, there was a way to really break down uh, barriers, you know, in terms of uh, how financial services and financial services products uh, are distributed. So I started to get closer a little bit. And uh, and then uh, in my you know through the the same Coinbase portfolio, I, I started investing in what we call stable coins or altcoins, right? And uh, and now I realize that uh, literally everything is being decentralized. So it's not your decentralized borrowing, right? But there are people with decentralized storage, people with decentralized emails. You know, and uh, we will soon have, uh, you know, uh, uh, our Italian uh, friends, Roberto Capodieci, he created his own blockchain uh, with the sole purpose to decentralize everything. You know, it's a very ambitious project. So why, why, Stani, only in the past, uh, I want to say two to three years, I mean, DeFi wasn't the word uh, 
I mean, for the masses uh, two years ago, it was not, right? It was an intention, but not, you know, people didn't even write it as a DeFi, you know? So what happened in the past 24 months? I would say uh, very, very, very uh, interesting topic because when we started first building uh, uh, decentralized applications or actually decentralized financial uh, applications, that was 2016, uh, early 2017, we deployed our very first smart contracts um, under like previous lending protocol, ETHLAND. So that was the start of like this over collateralization, collateralized lending uh, uh, on Ethereum. But what we noticed back then, um, besides what we had, there was just one so-called decentralized exchange where you could uh, swap one cryptographic asset to another, uh, EtherDelta, the very, very uh, famous one. But besides that, there wasn't kind of like an ecosystem of applications. And uh, during 2016, 17, pretty much all of the uh, projects on Ethereum, for example, tried to achieve this kind of like a... Um, uh, horizontal approach where you build a protocol and then that helps uh, the next kind of like a protocol that will be built on top. And, and there wasn't that much of actually uh, uh, would say like a vertical approach all the way solving the end user challenges, uh, solving the wallet challenges. Uh, how do you uh, secure your wallet? How do you interact with these decentralized applications? How you improve the user experience? This kind of things was, was something that is, uh, was a bit alien back those days because everyone was focusing on the infrastructure and what was important for us uh, at Aave is that we, we built uh, pretty much uh, horizontally. So Aave itself is very, Aave protocol is very developer first protocol. So we have over hundreds of integrations where the liquidity actually comes from and is consumed. And what's interesting here, despite of this liquidity that is coming elsewhere, we focus quite a lot on actually having this vertical approach all the way to the end user experience. And now from traditional banking experience, how you could have some perspective uh, to what kind of issue we had previously is that in traditional traditional uh, finance, the most innovative field at the moment was and still is uh, fintech, financial technology in the sense where fintech is focusing on actually uh, improving the user experiences, in, improving the kind of like a front end of the finance and making it better because banking systems per se, they have uh, legacy systems all the way from decades ago. And it's, it's infrastructure built on top of all the infrastructure and this kind of like a mesh, mesh of, of uh, complex systems. And now <clears throat> what decentralized finance actually does and, and importantly solves is that it upgrades the back end of the banking system, making it more efficient, making it more transparent, more open, and, and open in the sense, not just accessibility that everyone can uh, access and consume uh, peer to uh, contract manner where you interact with smart contracts directly, but also anyone can build uh, the next Aave, for example, or any kind of a, a product or service that is that is kind of supporting the ecosystem. And after 2017, what we saw, we, we saw more protocols that uh, were trading protocols, liquidity providing protocols, uh, Kyber, uh, Uniswap, Balancer, and we saw stable coins coming in. So when we started, there wasn't any stable value on Ethereum. So everything you did in lending borrowing was nominated in Ethereum, which made things very complex. And what happened at some point when stable coins started to be like the 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 more kind of like adopted currency in 
not just one stablecoin. There was DAI, uh, USDC, and and USDT at the same time. This bring an ecosystem where actually you could do a lot of financial transactions and and that mimic something that we already have in traditional finance, but in more efficient, interoperable way that we have. And this built the whole kind of like an ecosystem. So we started to see multiple new products coming in. We ha- we saw um, kind of like a new protocols and, and also pr- protocol improvements, what we already have. Because in open source community, you can look at the code, look at what others are building, taking that code, forking it, and just improving it. And this is a constant cycle of innovation. And as the ecosystem started to grow enough, there's practically this competition of of opportunities and innovation. So essentially what decentralized finance is, it's it's uh, an ocean uh, of liquidity and, and algorithms where they match together. So, so practically anyone, any part of the world could create a new algorithm that practically attracts new liquidity. So it's constant competition of innovation and, and making finance more efficient. And now when anyone can build any part of the world and participate into the system, build these products, the innovation cycle is just very, very quick. And this is why people usually say that things are progressing so much in decentralized finance. It's because of the open nature, because of the fact that everyone can participate and use it. And and end of the day, everyone is kind of like helping towards the same goal. And then you have incentives on top of the ecosystem and those kind of like drive things more faster. So you mentioned the the sort of the role of the financial institutions, and I want to hold that thought because this is going to be the next topic I want to talk with you about. But before, I try to put myself into the shoes of someone who has, you know, who, who sees this sort of crypto world as, you know, a bubble, not like an economic bubble, but a bubble as something that uh, he or she can't sort of get in, right? Or can't make his or her head around it. Uh, and the way I try to explain it to my uh, to my grandma, as I, you know, most of the time blog about uh, things, uh, I, I was saying that on the uh, sort of lender side, I will say, okay, I am a Portuguese resident. Uh, and I want to lend money to someone in Nigeria or to someone in Italy, you know, to make, make things easier. So I could actually invest or put money in some of these fintechs who, you know, lends money to SMEs or to individuals, you know, but I can't. I can't. Why? Because I'm a Portuguese resident. I don't have an Italian bank account. So even that simple obstacle makes this... Uh, Super simple statement as, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a European citizen who wants to sort of uh, put his money, you know, to, uh, to an yield by lending it to someone who is not living in the same state. Okay, now is, is, this is getting more and more possible because, you know, passporting and, you know, lender market and all these guys. But uh, all of a sudden, if instead of taking... Uh, Portugal and Italy, you take Portugal and Nigeria, then it gets uh, virtually impossible. So I want to say that uh, on the lending side, the providing capital side, this is what the DeFi allows anyone to do. What I want to you to try to explain as you know in uh, as a simple way, if it's possible, is how does the last mile looks. 
So how do I get, as an end user who wants to buy a car, I actually saw this, you know, the other, the, because this is where when someone can buy a car or a TV or, you know, or, or getting a loan, uh, you know, the, the, through DeFi to like do things that today you normally, you either go to a bank or if you're more sophisticated, you go to a fintech for it. This is where it's really going to be democratized. So what is the last mile looks today? Last mile definitely relates to democratizing of, of finance and, and not just democratizing, but also kind of like bringing to transparency. But we already see this happening in, in the DeFi space, because um, if you look at, for example, what the other protocol is doing, it brings everyone equal opportunity to participate in interest rate market globally, anywhere these individuals or entities are located in. So for example, I here from London have the exactly same yield for anyone else participating, for example, from Brazil or from Thailand or Singapore or China or whatever the, the kind of like a uh, consumption is in, in, in supply is, is coming from. And this is substantially interesting because uh, in, in, in our case, uh, that's of course the, the yield side, the deposit side. But then the interesting part is like, how we then uh, ensure that we have a, a borrowing credit market that is practically borderless global and, and works in a way that uh, empowers uh, people around the world. So how we can actually use this like big liquidity ocean that we have in decentralized finance, how we can take that liquidity and just empower across globally in Africa, in Asia, in, in South America, for example, and also in Europe. And, and when we look at these different kinds of markets, uh, one of the things we, we, we notice is that uh, we see liquidity coming in now. So DeFi is all about at the moment, like how we can get more liquidity from traditional finance, more institutionals. But at some point, the switch happens in two folds in the sense that we're thinking like how we get the liquidity out. And for example, in our protocol, we have this functionality called credit delegation, where if I deposit into the protocol, uh, USDC, which is uh, one of the most popular stable coins out there on Ethereum network, uh, I could actually, as I'm earning uh, yield, I could actually delegate my, uh, my borrowing power to someone else that I trust just by trust basis. But I also could delegate it to an entity that ha handles, let's say, uh, underwriting, credit scoring, any part of the world. And these entities could be uh, multiple, kind of like a network uh, uh, cycle in, in the sense that let's say uh, you have a underwriter let's say in Africa that has certain type of underwriting loans you might have some underwriter in, in UK in US and this actually allows great entities that are managing credit credit risk underwriting and taking the liquidity out of the the decentralized finance and and plugging it into the economies where it needs most empowerment and Interestingly, like if you think about like how we achieve this, I, I don't think the, the answer is technical. Like technicality is already like the technical solution already exists. You can do this today and you can convert then funds, let's say uh, stable coins into, uh, into fiat assets and, and so forth. But there's like two important things uh, what needs to be solved. And, and one of the things is incentives and the other things is growth. So, so practically, if you incentivize this kind of behavior, that you actually take credit from decentralized finance and, and there's successful repayments and, and you get rewards from that, uh, that will be one of the substantial things that will empower the whole system and, and kind of like 
um, takes the liquidity out of out, out of these interest finance to traditional finance. And this is this can be seen in, in this interest finance now, for example, when you provide liquidity into the other protocol. So when you are depositing funds, stable coins, Ethereum, any kind of asset at the moment that is accepted, uh, well, not, not all of them, but the main assets practically, the, the main widest assets, you're getting... Um, actually governance power. So you're getting Aave tokens distributed directly to the users, the borrowers, the depositors, and the protocol itself is governed by the token holders, which means practically the uh, community itself. So those are incentives for people to actually uh, do the borrowing and, and lending activity. And the second thing, most importantly, is that uh, we, need to, like, we need to find opportunities where actually this kind of a behavior uh, will create competitive advantages for businesses that are drawing liquidity from decentralized finance. So if you can create, uh, by taking liquidity out of DeFi into the traditional finance, if it creates a, a competitive advantage in terms of like uh, getting liquidity compared to raising capital against private placements or taking credit uh, in, in, in markets where you have high interest yield, for example, Brazil, uh, in, in Brazil, you might have from 20 to 30 percent rate on 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 your uh, borrowings, and th this is inflation adjusted. So if you get get liquidity uh, in a competitive fashion into those markets and and make the next kind of like a bigger uh, scale up companies and 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 empower those companies and individuals, uh, that creates a network effect where we get more liquidity out of DeFi into traditional finance, and then we have twofold cycle where liquidity comes into DeFi and also leaves the system to empower more, more wider, uh, wider public. Do you see also, Stani, a world where, uh, it, you know, people won't simply like borrow from DeFi to buy their TV or their car, but also like a company to borrow capital to grow, you know, and, and almost like the, the venture is a DeFi venture capital market, you know, we'll see. Uh, we see we see the light of the day, and, and like a follow up question: How do you see the role of uh, finance institutions? Because if I understand uh, correctly, what you just said is that uh, I could actually put uh, uh, um, liquidity available in a uh, in a in a DeFi platform, and then I could delegate my bank to actually make loans with that capital. Is this, this one of the roles that you foresee for financial institutions? Like more as uh, on, on the deploying capital side uh, or is as well as uh, into, uh, you know, uh, providing the liquidity? Or, or, or maybe is there a role for financial institution that I'm not seeing yet? I, I would say, yeah. Um, so, so, so how we see now, the whole venture capital market, uh, we, we see it in a, in a kind of like a very processed cycle where, uh, you know, you have different like funding rounds of, of let's say, equity capital. And when it comes to the uh, Web3 environment, you kind of like have this uh, equity capital raise. And on, on the side, you have also the kind of like token economics uh, in, in play as you have the product out and, and the ability to to issue issue a a a network token and then decentralize that network network uh, and give it to the community. And I, I think what's what's happening in the future is is, is practically uh, we'll see a, a scenario where uh, some of these protocols are becoming 
quite large. And by large, I mean something we have ever never seen before. Because in, in whereas a bank empowers uh, people, businesses in certain jurisdiction, certain area, a DeFi protocol might empower uh, half of the population one way or another. And this is substantially different. Uh, and we can take a look at protocols we have today and we use on a daily basis, HTTP protocol, um, IP protocol, various different protocols that are, that are created when the internet of today is created. And what we're creating now is basically decentralized internet, uh, where actually uh, those functions are owned by the communities. So over the period of time, um, the, the other protocol itself is becoming uh, community-owned, and, and the more users are depositing funds, borrowing, uh, the, the governance power is distributed more widely. That's important for like democratizing this uh, financial protocols, which are comparable to public goods in the sense that no one should actually own them in a centralized fashion. Now, when we look at these protocols like Aave and, and, and what we have in, in, in the DeFi ecosystem, they're starting to become self-sustainable. In the current, current form, uh, the Aave protocol is earning 1.5 uh, uh, million in, in, in revenue for the depositors and, and uh, in a monthly basis now uh, earning uh, practically millions in, in terms of like the, the decentralized treasury. Uh, just funds, which means that the, the protocol doesn't need anymore the Aave team to be sustainable, but the, the community can actually start allocating those funds and building new things, upholding the protocol, improving it. And at some point, what will be, happen is that uh, these protocols will start also funding things that uh, are being built. So I could imagine the same way as in, in back in uh, when internet was born, uh, Web2 was born, uh, that whatever business model you have, if you get funded, let's say the uh, HTTP protocol funds you, uh, the IP protocol funds you, anything you publish in the internet, uh, it funds you without the, the, the intention of taking any equity or anything, but just getting more infrastructure into the public system. And this is what, what we'll see kind of like that the, these big protocols will become uh, capital allocators without any kind of a... Uh, retainer of equity or, or or any portion of whatever is being built necessarily that might happen. Uh, but what's interesting there is that um, it's, it's empowerment of building more infrastructure in, in the sense of public goods. And this will substantially change the fundraising models uh, when it comes to venture capital, debt fundraising. And I think we're we're not far away this this kind of like a system to be to be actually in place in in, in DeFi. Back to you know how is how are financial institutions you know playing a role into this because I suppose you know that reminds me a little bit uh, you know the two thousand and eight and nine when the first fintechs came in after Lehman Brothers anyone anyone was saying oh you know these guys are you know uh, trying to eat our lunch and you know and we ended up they ended up uh, sort of. Uh, collaborating fully because they understood that on one the agility and the innovation of startups could be matched with uh, in some cases you know the availability the, the liquidity the availability of capital and the capillarity and the distribution of the bank so that's how some of the marriages uh, you know in, in in fintech were were done do you think it will happen the same thing in defi i would say i would say it, it will go even further i would say that 
the DeFi space itself is impossible to, to stop because of the amount of innovation going all the time. When there is uh, thousands of developers uh, across globally trying to achieve the same goal, deploying code, uh, like basically forking each other's code, improving it, there's this constant innovation and battle of algorithms and battle of liquidity happening. So the, 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 the innovation is there and the talent is there because of the innovation. And because the, the system and decentralized finance is over-incentivized, every system, every kind of like a uh, community has some sort of incentive mechanism there to empower their community. It's kind of like designed to, to roll by itself. But from traditional financial perspective, and, and what, what I would say is that uh, decentralized finance is more of an opportunity to actually uh, being able to partake into these protocols and, and, and kind of like be part of the decision-making on how the, these protocols will be evolved in the future. And I always love to take an, an example, uh, open source example of, let's say, Linus Torvalds. Uh, so Linus Torvalds, uh, uh, he's, he's basically from Finland. I'm from Finland as well. And we have very big open source culture there. And uh, currently, for example, what started as a small community project uh, became mission-critical operation system that Linux is today, which e almost each and every server on the planet has in its tech stack. Now today, for example, there's over two and a half thousand contributors uh, for each and every Linux release. Uh, and most of the contributors are not actually any more volunteers, but people who are working in, let's say, uh, big tech, uh, might be in financial companies, very different kinds of positions that are paid to contribute into this mission critical software. And now what will happen with decentralized finance, we'll see the similar kind of contributions from big tech, We'll see code contributions. We'll see also code contributions from uh, traditional finance actually to participate and improve the protocol, but also as they're providing liquidity, whether their own balance sheet funds or their, their end user customers' funds, uh, there's governance power uh, that is distributed, for example, Aave tokens for these entities. And that gives them power to actually uh, and have a saying how these protocols are developed in the future, how the risk parameters are adjusted, and, and everything happens in transparent fashion. When we look at the, the, what happened in 2008, 2009, no one know who, like, no one know how, where are the exposure, like how much Lehman was exposed uh, to other banks, Goldman, JPM, like all of these things are based on reporting, and, and which is quarterly, annually, and, and whatnot. But what blockchain offers and what decentralized finance offers is that you have you have oversight, constant oversight on each and every second, what is the exposure. So that these protocols are completely auditable by anyone, which means the regulator, like, like the, 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 the public itself, and also the governance is, is transparent. I think this is the way to build not just financial systems, but any kind of system that has like takes power and 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 like from from the from the users so it's, it's like decentralization is it's just not it's not a movement but it's actually building better systems in in overall and better better public goods sunny i i hope that uh, this like uh, 30 minutes uh, gave uh, the sort of glimpse you know to our auditors of uh, how potentially disruptive is is defi not just for the taste of being disruptive, but for the purpose of building a fairer, more accessible, and more ubiquitous, you know, set of uh, financial services for uh, for everyone. 
And believe you me, for someone who is so passionate for financial inclusion and investing in emerging markets, that gives a huge hope, you know, on on how these technologies uh, will transform or can transform, especially you know the, the areas of these emerging markets uh, where you know the reg- regulator could uh, help in making. Uh, DeFi mainstream and sort of having a quantum leap in terms of uh, adoption of uh, of, uh, of financial services in a way that uh, only a couple of years ago was not was not possible. Uh, Stani, thank you so much for being with us. If you don't mind, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. We are going to do a fintech stage festival uh, in uh, September. And uh, we're going to have uh, like at least half a day uh, dedicated to like uh, the the point on point on DeFi, and it's going to be roughly in six months from now. So I really like the fact that every six months we have a conversation on on the state of the art. So if your agenda make it possible, I would really love uh, to invite you officially, you know, from from the show. To our fintech stage in uh, in September with our Italian friends, I would love that, Matteo. I, I will make make some room and, and definitely happy happy to join and and uh, yeah, I'm 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 ready for that. <laughs> Sunny, thank you so much for uh, for being with us. Uh, keep up the amazing uh, work that you guys are doing, uh, and uh, until next time on the show, thank you so much. Thank you, Matteo. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, stay tuned for the second part of the show. We were talking about the role of a financial institution in this new brave world and uh, Societe Generale's company Forge and its CEO uh, are having a conversation with our host Ajit on an amazing project you want to hear everything about. Stay with us. Do you want to be part of Breaking Banks Europe? Reach out and learn more about the opportunity to be featured in one of our shows. With over 1.6 million listeners and counting, Breaking Banks Europe is bound to become the place to advance critical dialogue in Europe and the UK fintech scene. Reach out on Instagram or Twitter at BreakingBanksEU or go to www.provoke.fm. Hello and welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. This is the Breaking Chains series. Uh, we are on episode number 79. Uh, and today with me, I have a very special guest. He is uh, Jean-Marc Stenger. Uh, he is the head of Societe Generale, uh, for a bit it's hard to pronounce French names, Societe Generale uh, Forge, which is the digital innovation unit, the crypto and digital assets innovation unit of of, of, of the bank. Uh, you know, Jean-Marc and team have been doing some pretty interesting things for a few years, and I've been keeping track of some of the work they've done in the MPC. Uh, we'll explain what that is and central bank digital currency space. But there is also a bunch of things that we don't know. So, you know, as uh, as media people, we are always looking for scoops. So, Jean-Marc, hopefully, you know, you will give us some scoops and welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Amazing. So yeah, thank you so much. So so please tell us uh, more about your journey and about the Forge. So what is Forge, and, and and how did you get into this? 
Yes, sure. So SG Forge is a new subsidiary of the capital market arm of uh, Société Générale Group, so one of the uh, leading financial institutions in, in Europe. And basically, we are responsible for building the capacity of the bank into the digital asset space. Um, and for that, we have created this new subsidiary uh, almost a year ago uh, and built a platform uh, to, uh, to deploy those capacities across uh, the spectrum for the clients of the uh, SOCGEN group. Okay, great. So, uh, so you've done a, a number of interesting things over the years. So uh, can you tell us so what's what, which of the, the areas you find most exciting mm -hmm. from the work you as a team have done? Yeah, sure. So obviously, blockchain technology is potentially changing uh, a lot of things within the uh, financial industry landscape. And uh, at Société Générale, we are definitely willing to be at the forefront of those innovations and, and driving in the driving seat, I would say. So basically, we, uh, we are building and we are offering to clients um, basically services in three areas uh, within the digital asset space, um, uh, an ability, a capacity to issue uh, financial products in the form of native security token uh, deployed uh, mainly on public blockchains. Um, currently, we do support the Ethereum and Tezos blockchain. That's number one. Number two, uh, we are offering secondary market capacity uh, on those uh, security tokens to allow investors basically to buy and sell on the market those security in a digital native format. And number three, uh, we are offering uh, crypto custody uh, capacity to basically uh, safe keep those assets uh, under, uh, under this new technological uh, format. Awesome. That's, uh, wow, that's uh, coming from a bank. That's actually very, very exciting. So, uh, so explain to me what security tokens are and, you know, how are they different from, let's say, Bitcoin and Ethereum? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, basically, first, uh, I have to mention that uh, SOCGEN is not uh, willing and is not currently uh, supporting uh, cryptocurrencies uh, such as Bitcoin uh, in its operation. The idea for us is really to leverage this technology to build uh, the capacity and to allow our clients, um, financial institutions, corporates, asset managers, basically to um, get to the next stage in terms of uh, services and uh, user experience, I would say. Uh, leveraging technology to offer uh, digital native security, um, meaning uh, securities which are deployed on the blockchain and which do exist on the blockchain as financial instrument, um, like any other financial instrument, uh, bond, structured product, equities, anything, um, except that the uh, security token format is the only one uh, which do exist. We do not copy-paste existing security on the blockchain to improve, for instance, uh, post-trade uh, operations. Uh, the, the tokens we built um, natively on the, on the blockchain are the financial instrument and are completely pari-passu uh, with traditional uh, bonds, for instance, the way they could exist in traditional market infrastructure. And we, uh, that's why we, we spend a lot of time and effort also to, um, to work not only on the technological uh, aspects, uh, making sure, obviously, we have state-of-the-art technology, but also on the legal and compliance 
part of it uh, to make sure uh, investors and issuers will find under this new format exactly the same uh, rights they could have for uh, traditional securities. Okay, so, so so I have a question on that. So as you've seen, you know, lots of banks are now starting to support uh, cryptocurrency custody. And I think you mentioned that that's one of the things you're you're doing. Mm-hmm. So what's uh, what's your uh, uh, and now you know crypto has become a two point what uh, as of yesterday two point five trillion as of today two trillion mm-hmm. cap uh, asset class. So uh, so are you going to be offering cryptocurrency custody mm-hmm. to you as well? Well, we 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 follow that very closely, obviously, and uh, we I mean. We often received uh, requests from clients to, to offer these services, and there is probably a need for that in the market. Uh, but as I said, currently, it's not the intention of the Sogen Group to offer crypto uh, custody services as far as traditional cryptocurrencies uh, are concerned. We, we really uh, stay into our playground, which is uh, financial markets. Um, and, and with the goal to uh, leverage uh, this technological framework to enhance uh, the service to clients uh, in the uh, traditional market space uh, when it comes to, uh, I, I mean, get financing or uh, issue uh, issue uh, any debt, for instance, on the market uh, using this uh, this new format. Okay, okay. So, uh, so, so you know, I've heard about, so I, I've extensively, I work in crypto full-time and I've written about uh, security tokens, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, back uh, th- three years ago, security tokens uh, seemed to be extremely promising and were supposed to be a trillion dollar market, but the growth has been relatively slow. And one thing we have noticed is that, uh, you know, it, a lot of companies came out and started issuing security tokens, but secondary market liquidity uh, has been relatively low, mm-hmm. primarily because, you know, CSDs haven't shown a lot of interest in in you know supporting this new technology and to some extent there is also the the issue that you know security tokens might uh, you know by virtue of being on a public blockchain at some point in in a registry might actually disintermediate central securities depositories like like DTCC and so on mm-hmm. but getting a bit technical uh, so we'll get uh, in fact uh, so why is why are security tokens you know there are so many people issuing security tokens but not really enabling secondary market trading of security tokens first question and secondly how have you done it yes sure uh, well m- m- many questions actually into into one uh, so we we still believe in at Sogen that it's indeed a trillion dollar market and that uh, I, I mean a, a big chunk of uh, what we see in traditional financial market will actually shift sooner than many people may think into into this uh, this format but it's fair to say that the pickup has been uh, fairly fairly low uh, I, I think the the main reason for that is, is actually it's much more complicated to Operate um, those securities under a regulated format uh, on, on the blockchain that it is, for instance, the case uh, in non-regulated uh, digital assets such as cryptocurrency. Uh, obviously, you have to comply uh, with a lot of regulations and rules and compliance requirements to be able to to offer this service under uh, a digital native format. So, building 
this infrastructure and agreeing on the, the right uh, operating mode uh, is not that easy. Uh, setting up the proper legal documentation is not that easy and it's quite expensive also at the end of the day. So there are good reasons for, for that pickup to be uh, to be slow. But actually, we see that um, increasing uh, much more rapidly than um, what many people actually uh, could have anticipated um, even three years ago. Talking to our clients, for instance, uh, we see that uh, adoption is uh, is growing. There is probably still a need uh, to set a proper standard of operation and data model uh, for this market to be uh, adopted at scale. And that's also what we are pushing at uh, Sustainable Forge. We have proposed an open source standard called CAST, Compliant Architecture for Security Token, which is uh, offered to our investors and actually any market participant who want to, to onboard on this market without having to, to do heavy uh, upfront investments. But adoption is, uh, is growing and, and, and we see that happening. The, the second part of your question was, uh, how do we do that at SG Forge? Um, I, I guess maybe the, um, the easiest way to answer the question is basically to, to, to say and to explain that uh, we are building this capacity together with our clients. We, over the last two years, uh, we choose to work on a limited number of transactions, real market transactions, where we issue native security token. Uh, with clients, with issuers, uh, willing also to build this market with us and be at the forefront. Uh, we have issued a bond, covered bond, unsecured bond. Uh, I mean, uh, issuances in the range of uh, 50 to 100 million euros each. We have also issued structured product. As you may know, Société Générale is uh, one of the uh, leading providers uh, among financial institutions of structured product solutions to the market. So we firmly believe there is a strong case for structured products uh, on blockchain and in the form of native security token. And we have seen, uh, I mean, quite decent interest from our clients uh, on, on that front. And going uh, through those transactions, increasing uh, the complexity uh, of each of these transactions at each step is for us the best way to, to build uh, this infrastructure, making sure we address real client need, uh, making sure uh, we work along with regulators uh, and central banks. Uh, we have partnered notably with Banque de France uh, to uh, also participate into their official uh, CBDC uh, experiment program uh, to learn together and to build the infrastructure together, make sure we understand each other, uh, we select the appropriate uh, operating model, we build uh, based on the appropriate technology, and uh, we deliver transactions, which again are completely pari-passu with traditional uh, financial transactions, onboarding also into that journey uh, low firms. Uh, because they are also uh, uh, an important stakeholder into this journey, uh, who are themselves advising their client on the um, level of maturity of regulation into that field and giving, at the end of the day, appropriate comfort to um, legal uh, department, compliance officers, risk managers uh, within uh, our, first our own uh, institution, Société Générale, and then uh, among other financial institutions with whom uh, we are working and delivering uh, this, uh, this technology uh, to the market. Are you doing this on, let's say, you know, public blockchains or on, or on private blockchains? Mm -hmm. 
We uh, at Sustainable Forge we uh, we have a very strong preference for public blockchain. Um, I mean, it's already a few years. Uh, we are firm believers that uh, a real transformation in the financial industry could only come uh, together with public blockchain technology. Uh, that's where we will see new business models uh, really emerging. Uh, there is there are some merits uh, to work on private blockchains, but uh, the the real transformation in our view of the industry won't come there. Um, you know, having a network which is uh, shared, a ledger which is shared on a worldwide basis uh, with strong interoperability features uh, is obviously uh, much more interesting than having something which is run among a, a close group of uh, financial institutions, for instance. Now, that's probably not the easiest way to go. That's for sure. You you mentioned secondary market uh, liquidity and transaction uh, in your previous question as well. It's sure that there are some uh, challenges uh, associated to that. It's true that uh, under this uh, public blockchain uh, infrastructure, you do not necessarily uh, involve a CSD a central depository uh, into your operation. It's not requested uh, by law in some jurisdictions, but this intermediation, simplification, massive simplification of the financial in in infrastructure will, will also come, uh, I mean, uh, at this price. Yeah, so so uh, I think in, in, in the first, uh, you know, episode of, in the first part of this, this, this episode, we had uh, a, a decentralized finance founder uh, speak to 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 one of our, one of my co-hosts. So uh, I mean, you've seen, you know, and I work for a DeFi protocol as well. And now DeFi has grown from, you know, like I mean, last year, say early early in the year, the the total value was around one billion in DeFi. Now it's grown to you know 120 plus billion. Uh, in in Ethereum itself, and uh, you know, 20 billion in one protocol. So in the in the in the team I work with, uh, so uh, work for. And uh, I, I mean, are you guys doing looking into the DeFi space at all? And uh, you know, how do you see this? Uh, I mean, there is whole other permissionless innovation. Uh, you know, and by permissionless innovation, I mean innovation by developers everywhere in the world that's happening. What's what's uh, what's mm. for you on DeFi and? And you know, uh, sort of the the innovation we are seeing in cryptocurrencies and more stable coins. Mm, yes, sure. So you know, even if we are working in a established financial institution, Sustainable, uh, which is more than 150 years old, we are quite ambitious and and willing to to test uh, very innovative and disruptive uh, features in that field. And again, uh, we are firm believer that blockchain technology will bring this level of disruption and enhance. Uh, quality of service to, to clients. So just as we issued um, financial instruments in the format of native security token, embedding within the security token many of the features of traditional financial instruments to seek for, you know, uh, automation of a lot of things, uh, starting with corporate event. We do also believe that there are some merits uh, in exploring a DeFi uh, solution. Uh, on, on our end, where we see the uh, most immediate and promising um, use cases for, for DeFi solution in financial market uh, uh, stays in the secondary market and repo uh, uh, part of, of the trades, uh, automating and looking for uh, enhanced financing solutions using DeFi. Uh, it was very 
promising and we we started to to work in on that um, on these solutions to to offer some solution to to clients that's that sounds incredible and we recent i recently you know we earlier had claire uh, the chief digital officer at sogjen earlier on uh, chief innovation officer at sogjen on our on our podcast and uh, we talked about central bank digital currency so uh, i heard you know we've heard that you guys are doing some really interesting work with the european central bank to the extent you can share what you're doing and what your point of view on you know uh, central bank digital currencies is and the role blockchain will play that be incredibly helpful yeah sure uh, it's a, it's a very important topic and uh, i think people have to realize uh, that um, i mean cbdc uh, are on the agenda of central banks and and will arrive sooner than people may anticipate and that obviously it will have a major impact on the way financial market uh, do operate and and payment infrastructures uh, do operate um, so obviously there are, i mean um, uh, I mean, many, many things I, I can't really share, but um, we, what, what, for what could be disclosed, I mean, the ECB and notably the national central banks, uh, which are part of the Eurogroup, uh, running the, the Euro, Euro system, um, have uh, engaged uh, already a few years ago and more and more into uh, programs to experiment, test and learn what um, a digital form of currency could bring uh, in terms of efficiency, uh, improved security, uh, improved transparency to financial markets. And um, on our end, uh, we have strong collaborations with uh, three central banks across the globe, most notably uh, Banque de France here in France, uh, where we were selected in May last year uh, to be part of their official uh, CBDC experiment program. As part of this program, uh, we just issued in partnership partnership with the European Investment Bank, uh, an unsecured bond, a 100 million unsecured bond, uh, which has been placed by a syndicate of three banks, Goldman Sachs, Banco Santander, and Société Générale to investors. And this uh, issuance uh, being settled uh, through uh, CBDC that has been issued by uh, Banque de France uh, to uh, also to test and, and to uh, to gain some market knowledge on what uh, such a wholesale CBDC uh, could bring to those operations. And I can tell you that the. Uh, the, the work is is well advanced and, and results were uh, promising, uh, and, and but the program is continuing now and, and uh, will deliver other results. Yeah, Jean-Marc. So uh, you know, as, uh, I think we have a couple more minutes left. As bankers, uh, I mean, uh, serious people. So, so I'll ask you a not very serious question. What are your views on Elon Musk's Mars currency? And, <laughs> and Dogecoin. Is Dogecoin the right currency for Mars? And, you know, uh, and if you were to design, a, let's say you didn't work for a bank, you know, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. And there was no regulators, no central bank, none of that. And you had to start the financial. No, no recording. No recording. <laughs> and you had to start a financial system from the beginning and you designed a digital currency for payments. Would it look like Dogecoin or would it, would it look somewhat different? Would it look like Ethereum or how would, how, how would you build it? Well, uh, to, to be honest, I haven't looked uh, such in, in detail into into this proposal. I, I guess it's interesting. Like many, I think we are we are still in a period of time where uh, people have to test and learn. Uh, I mean, 
all proposals are, are interesting. Uh, we uh, we run our own, um, uh, let's say, analysis to select the, the public blockchains on which we uh, we issue the security. And maybe what I can answer is that we we look at different factors, and anyone should probably have the uh, the same reading of a blockchain, not just focusing on price or any particular feature. Uh, I think governance, uh, resilience. Uh, and performances uh, such as uh, speed and scalability of the network is key, but we should approach that uh, in a dynamic way, looking into the future and not only uh, at uh, static characteristics of uh, of such protocol. Okay, so you agree with Elon Musk on the on the on the block size and the block speed? I'm just joking here, uh, <laughs> and but you don't necessarily agree on the on the governance okay so so i mean we'll pass that message on to mr musk and you know uh, so thank you for contributing to you know for all the exceptional work you and the team have been doing in in enterprise uh, you know it's uh, I, I can assure you I've, done, I've been on the other side i think uh, all of the breaking banks hosts uh, have been on the other side and you know we know how much work it is to to uh, you know the, the, some of the challenges of innovating inside a financial institution, but I think you and the and the team over at Sogen have done a tremendous job. Uh, Thank and you. Hear from you again in in the future. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for inviting me. Have a good day. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Omar. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with FinTech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.